Ordinary People, Extraordinary God is the series that we're going through at the moment. And I prayed and sought the Lord and tried to figure out what character to do today, and I couldn't get one. So I sought the Lord again, and this verse, this, um, no, not that way. No. There we are. This slide spoke to me. Why not me? Which was what God was talking about in terms of me. Why not me? And then I said to God, well, okay, that we can make that sort of statement, why not me? But how? How do we come, become extraordinary people doing extraordinary things for our extraordinary God? Because that's what I believe he wants us to do. Not just to be ordinary plod along sorts, which is really easy to do. And it's the default position that many of us go into, even as Christians. But what God wants is something more than that for each one of us. He wants to take hold of our lives and do something amazing in and through us. It's not just in us, it's through us and out into this world to make a difference for him. So I prayed and as I was going through the book of Psalms, um, which is what I'm doing in my um, Bible study um, each day, God spoke to me through four verses and then another one which was outside of Psalms and I just want to share those with you. Five helps that will help to lift us from the ordinary to the extraordinary in God. First one is to hope continually. And the psalm that um, spoke to me there was Psalm 71 verse 14. It said, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. To hope is to wait with favourable expectation according to the Oxford Dictionary. You know, as a Christian, we know something amazing is coming. And we've got a favourable expectation, using the Oxford Dictionary there, that one day we'll be living with the fullness of what God has just been speaking into our heart about. What's this hope? It's an expectation that the broken life we're now living, yeah, it's got some good bits in it, but it's also full of hardship it's full of God-hating. It's full of wars and it's full of famine and it's full of pain and death. That world is going to pass away. Whether we like it or not, that is going to happen. And it's going to be replaced by something else. And as a Christian, we have a hope that we're going to be living in a world with no pain, no mourning, no crying, no death. A glorious life in a new heaven and a new earth lived out with our Lord and Saviour and with God himself making his dwelling amongst us. That is an amazing hope to have. Truth is the alternative is not so amazing. The Christians, you know, 
we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as the fore, as a forerunner on our behalf in Hebrews 6 verses 19 and 20. So why is our hope so secure? Because its generator, its guarantor, its carrier is Jesus Christ himself. And he's already secured the victory over the enemy that enables our hope. We were previously hopeless, but now we have hope. Our prospects were bleak without that. Now we have an eternal, wonderful life to look forward to. We're free now in Christ to hope. We can know for certainty that that hope will be fulfilled because it's immovably anchored to Jesus Christ. And he is not going to fail. We've been singing about that this morning. That anchor is secure. It's beyond the veil in glory with the Father. And Jesus is making sure that that cannot move. That hope always has a secure end to it, if you like. So we can trust it. We can put our whole faith in life and base our life upon that hope and hope continually as a result. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised, he who promised is faithful. It's our job to take a hold of the other end of that anchor rope, if you like, the rope of hope, and actually grip it and never let it go. No matter what the world throws at us, no matter what happens in life, if we grab a hold of that, it acts as an anchor for our soul. May the, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. You know, trusting God, the God of hope, no matter what happens in life, will allow God's joy and peace to be ours. And it will flood into our souls in such a way that the hope that we have will overflow. And I believe that's what God wants us each one to do, not just to hold the hope inside of us, but to allow it to overflow out of us to the world around us that they may see that there's something special that God has done in us and that we have a hope that they can have too if they'd only look for it in him, in Jesus Christ. Such hope is contagious and is energised by the Spirit of God. So we should hope continually. Such hope inspires, that such God-inspired hope keeps us going no matter what the world or the enemy throws at us. It keeps us focused on what's important, our eternal destiny. And it energises us to aim beyond the ordinary, which so often we do, beyond anything that the world has to offer and instead embrace the extraordinary things that God has for us, both in this world and in the world to come. Don't let the world or the enemy define what's extraordinary. So often we live life and we think, 
success in worldly terms is what it's all about. But the truth is that that's going to fade away. Success in the kingdom of God, that's the things that count. The extraordinary things that God wants to do through us, in us and through us, they hold value for eternity. The things of this life are only temporary. Losing my notes. Second one is embrace a culture of encouragement. And this one I, well, from Adore's talk on, on Barnabas, the son of encouragement, and Joel did something the week after about encouragement too. And it just spoke to me. And this verse was the one that God really spoke through. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11. The Greek word translated encouragement there is parakaleo. And it literally means to call to one side. And I believe that's what we are to do as church. Not try and go it alone, but to call to one side those around us. Link arms and march forward as the Spirit of God directs together. We actually need each other. When one person stumbles, we can help pick each other up. It may be that those people aren't willing, but at least we should try. We should be there for them when they have needs. We need each other and we need to be encouraging each other in the kingdom of God. To do this kingdom of God stuff on our own, I don't think works. We need God and we need each other. And the Holy Spirit will help us in that as well. He doesn't just leave us on our own struggling to be an encouragement. He actually will show us and guide us and help us to make decisions that are right for each other if we allow him to speak into our lives and to lead us and guide us and to be doing the things that our Saviour and Lord wants us to do. Excuse me, my voice is going, but I'm struggling. (laughs) And Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 a verse well known to all of us. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I think we're in an end time season. So the day is drawing near. So this scripture is more pertinent now than it was the time it was actually written. We need to be encouraging one another in the body of Christ. I think many of us will fail in the short term without the encouragements of other Christians. We need each other. We aren't called to badmouth each other, which I think is just a vain attempt to feel better about ourselves or justified for our own poor behaviour or decisions. Our calling in Christ isn't to drag each other down, to get to some low common denominator that is not helpful to anybody. It's to lift each other up, to build each other up. And if God is going to be leading us to do anything, it's certainly to do that because he wants the kingdom of God to succeed. He wants the church, his body, to succeed and to achieve the purposes that he has for it. This body the purposes he has for it. 
Our calling in Christ is to encourage one another and to pull each other up. Because what else would you do for someone God has called you to love and called you to do family with? When you love someone and you're family with someone, you don't pull them down. You encourage them and you try and lift them up and get the best out of them and the best for them. And as an added bonus, if we start encouraging people, it helps create a culture of encouragement that will give us encouragement when we need it. Because we will at some stage. And it's really, really important that we don't wait for everybody else to do it, that we get in there and step out and and do it first and lead the way, as it were. We need both God's encouragement and the godly encouragement of each other if we're ever going to be lifted from the ordinary into the realm of doing the extraordinary things for God that we all should aspire to do. And we should be doing that more and more as the day of Christ's return draws near. The third one, which if you've got a Bible, you, you don't have to look it up, but it's, it's, you may see a totally different translation of this. This is the ESV um, version, and it's the one I read, I read. And this is what it said, and this bit of it, the, the befriend faithfulness that, that uh, is the next um, point that I want to make, sometimes says feed on faithfulness, and other times says find safe pasture. I don't know how find safe pasture and faithfulness, uh, befriend faithfulness actually can be translated from the same thing, but apparently it can. But what spoke to me was those, that phrase, befriend faithfulness. Faithfulness, according to the Oxford Dictionary, can mean a number of things. It can mean consistently doing what one says one will do, or being conscientious in the fulfillment of a duty, being reliable or trustworthy. And it can also mean being full of or characterised by faith. Fruit of the Spirit, as we all know, Galatians 5.22 and 23 says, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. In other versions, it will say different words for those things. And in fact, the word for faithfulness here, the word faithfulness is a weird translation um, for that particular scripture. Because the the, the Greek word used is pistis. And pistis is usually translated as faith. And that's why the King James Version of the Bible uses faith in this fruit of the Spirit instead of faithfulness. Pistos is actually the word that's translated as faithfulness usually. So why the difference? Well, I believe that the fruit of the Spirit that's being taught about here is actually being full of or characterised by faith. And when you're full of and characterised by faith, you will consistently do what you say you're going to do. You will be conscientious in the fulfilment of the duties that God's given you as his servants and you will be reliable and trustworthy. So it all links. Faithfulness is a divine characteristic. It was modelled in Jesus Christ perfectly. And all he did for us was just such an expression of God's faithfulness that if you want 
to understand what faithfulness is, just study his life. And what God is calling us to live, study Jesus' life and emulate what he did. It's a characteristic that the Spirit of God will grow in us if we let him, because it's one of the fruits. But we have to live and walk by and walk in, uh, in, in keep in step with the Spirit in order to do that. Another thing he spoke to me about was this whole idea of stewardship. In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2, it's Paul talking here. He says, moreover, it's required by stewards that they be found faithful. Stewards are managers or caretakers of someone else's property. And we're God's stewards. Well, God's servants is another way to think of it. And we're called by him to faithfully look after all that we are in ourselves and everything we have for him. That's part of our calling in Christ. I'm not going to read all of the parable of the talents, just this one bit of the verse uh, of the, 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 the passage. And it's the acclamation that's given to the faithful servants. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little. He gave them five talents, two talents, and one talent to different people. The five-talent guy got five more. The two-talent guy got two more because he was faithful with what he'd been given. They were faithful with what they were given. And Jesus Christ gave him a good pat on the back and said, well done. That's what you're supposed to be doing. The guy that sat on it all, took the talent and buried it, did not get the same acclamation from God. He was reprimanded. And he's, well, I'm not going to go into the details of what happened, but it was a weeping and gnashing of teeth rather than, well done, good and faithful servant. God, the word investment that I'm using here is, is a weird one, but I believe it, it applies. We are God's servants or stewards, and he expects a return on his investment in us. He invested his son in us. He expects us to do something for him. We need to be fruitful in this world. Parables of the talents makes that absolutely clear. By using the things that he gives us according to our God-given abilities. The five-talent guy got five talents because that's what his abilities enabled him to use. The two-talent guy got two because that was his limit. God knows what we're like. He knows what we can do. But what we have been given, we must prove faithful with. It's key to unlocking even treasure in heaven for ourselves. God expects us to be faithful in this way and not simply bury or sit on all he's given us. We've got to be fruitful in our service for him, doing the things he asks us to do, because that's how we're fruitful. It's not something we have to do on our own. We do it with the enabling and empowering of the Holy Spirit, and we do it with each other, encouraging each other and helping each other. So it's not okay to stay being an ordinary, unfruitful, hidden away Christian who has God-given talents of some kind and God-given resources at their disposal 
and yet they choose to use them only to serve their own plans and purposes rather than God's. Certainly just turning up on a Sunday isn't enough. I wrote, put this one down. This thing's not working very well. There we are. You can read it with me as I read it. We are to faithfully put on all we have and all we are to good use, fulfilling the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do, redeeming the time on this earth given to us by making the most of every opportunity given us by God so that we are fruitful for God as we abide in him and live, walk, keep in step with the spirit who enables and powers our faithful service. These are all scriptures. These are all things that God is very, very clearly saying we must be doing. Redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity, fulfilling the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. We're called to be fruitful. Now, sometimes I know thinking of God asking us to be a faithful steward or servant seems a bit cold. But when we actually couple it with what we know about God's love and his mercy and his grace given to us, such service should be something we are desperate to do. We want to do and we want to give with all our heart. He's gifted us with life and hope. His love, undeserved mercy, forgiveness, even his precious Holy Spirit. Our service, compared to what he's already given us, is something that we just should be willing to do. Such great grace should motivate the best service we can give. Let's be faithful to our God and be characterised as people who are full of faith. This saying is trustworthy, a difficult scripture. For if we have died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now don't worry, denying Christ here is not talking about a temporary lapse of trusting in Christ. It's an end-of-life stance of denial of Christ. Such a person God cannot own because they've denied him at the end. We're all going to be faithless at times, and we're certainly going to engage in sin and do our own thing, But God, rather than what God wants us to do. But this set of verses teaches that although we may prove faithless, God will always be faithful and he will always be there to pardon and restore and keep those who are are truly his. Faithfulness is his nature. So God can't do anything that isn't characterised by faithfulness because he cannot deny himself. So if we're defaulting to a position of faithlessness, because although at times we pick ourselves up and try and do the right thing in God, We're constantly allowing ourselves to slide back to a place where we make choices just for ourselves. We need to not let that be the end of our story. We need to repent 
and we need to give our life back to him in the way he wants us to. Even if we've got faithless episodes in our life, don't let that be the end of the story. Ask God to forgive you and learn from your mistakes. Let's be determined to leave behind a faithless life that is rooted in the ordinary by our choices and let us choose instead to serve our extraordinary God and see what extraordinary things we can do for him. Fourth one, and they are shorter, so don't have to panic. Follow God's light. Psalm 97 verse 11 says, Light is shown for the is sown for the righteous, and joy for the upright in heart. Our position of righteousness or right standing with God is ours in Christ. But it still requires us to make right choices for God. And when we make right choices, they are the only ones that are really worthy of our service for God. And those choices always have to be in line with his will if they're going to be worthy. When we flow with the will of God in all that we are and all that we have and all that we do and all that we say, God will sow his light to light our way. And that's a really precious thing. So we don't have to struggle on, don't have to walk in the dark and try and figure out where it is we're going. God will sow his light to light the way. Psalm 119 verses 105, you all know this verse, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When we flow with the will of God and obey his word to us, whatever way it's given, then this will be our portion. We need to be obeying the prompts the Holy Spirit gives us into our soul, which will be his word speaking to us. People or even angels, an audible voice or visions or dreams, and especially the Word of God, which is the God inspired scriptures. These things can speak into our lives and show us what the will of God is. So we need to be looking out for that all the time, right through life, especially reading the Word of God. Probably the easiest way of hearing Him, praying to Him, spending time in His presence, listening to what He's got to say to us. And when we do that, God will show us where our feet need to tread and he'll show us the path ahead. So we'll have the two things you need to be able to walk with Christ and get to where we need to be going. Oop, I'm going past it. There we are. Another well-known verse. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Natural inclination for us fallen human beings is to stray far from God's path and plans and purposes for, for, for life. You know, the world out there thinks it's got a lot of the answers. But the truth is, compared to God, we have no, no, no knowledge, no real understanding, maybe little bits, little snippets that he's given to us. 
we need to be realising that we need to put our trust and reliance on him. Trust in the Lord who has all the answers rather than our own understanding. And then he will come and go ahead of us and make our path straight to get to the places that he wants us to get to. And be doing the things he wants us to do. Because they're the best things we can do with our life. This is how God can lift us from our own human limitations. Because being who God wants us to be and going where God wants us to go and doing the things he wants us to do, these are the things that are energised and empowered by the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit doesn't do ordinary because he is extraordinary. Being extraordinary is ordinary for our, our amazing God. And we shouldn't expect anything else if the Holy Spirit is empowering us and leading us and God is, 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 is guiding our way. Last one. Unite my heart to fear your name. Psalm 86 verse 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. A united heart is a heart that is one, undivided in its devotion and loyalty to God in terms of this verse. We should be singular in our approach to living, always choosing God's way over our own and certainly over anything that the world or the enemy would have us live. To embrace reverent fear that's wrapped in God's limitless love, and I think those two things need to go together, is God's way for us to navigate this life in the way he wants us to live it. This is how we can live with a heart of integrity that avoids sin because we don't want to do it. We've got a God who we love and we reverently fear and we know that that God doesn't want us to do this thing so we'll be, it'll be a help to avoid it or anything that would displease God. And living with such godly integrity not only does something for us, it speaks to the world around us and shows them that we as Christians can live a life of integrity that isn't like some of the things they read in the press. This fallen pastor, this one that's done something disastrous, this, it's what they read about Christianity. So they need to see in us that Christianity can be a thing of integrity and a thing where life is something that we grab a hold of and want to give out to them as well. Reverent fear of God isn't debilitating or destructive. It's freeing. It constrains us from making choices that obey or at least pander to our fleshly human nature instead of making the choices that the Spirit of God is encouraging us to make. We need to realise that the flesh or our sinful nature has nothing of eternal value to offer us. We should be dead to it. But we often energise it again by the choices we make. Choices inspired always by the world or the enemy. If we're in Christ, we're new creations. The old is gone and should stay gone. And the new should do what it was reworked or recreated to do. The good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Living like this can't be ordinary 
because our extraordinary God is bringing his power to bear and his will to bear and the power will come along with that to achieve his plans and purposes. So let's hope continually. Embrace a culture of encouragement, befriend faithfulness and in reverent fear follow God's light that we might be extraordinary servants of our extraordinary God. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot in there. And I know, Lord God, that you don't just leave us on our own to struggle through these things, but you're with us every step of the way. So that hope can be something that is there getting us through the toughest of times. That we can be those encouragements to each other if we just listen to you and obey your voice and do the things you want us to do in the context of this fellowship. That we don't fear reverent fear, but we embrace it and that it constrain us. That we look for God's leading and guiding in all things, especially reading his word and in prayer, so that he can shine or sow his light so that we may see the way forward. And Lord, help us to befriend, befriend faithfulness and be those people that are characterised by faith, full of faith, so that we can be those men and women, those servants of yours that you want us to be, in this world that needs servants that do that sort of thing, faithful servants, the world needs to see it, Lord. So help us to model it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.